watch this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson, and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining me on the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetnam. James, how's things? Looking forward to Christmas? Oh, I most certainly am, Rob. It's that festive time of year. It's December now, so the trees are out. The glitter, the sparkles, it's all there. Christmas songs non-stop on the radio. It's that time of year. And I believe you've already kicked off your Christmas festivities, mingling with the podcasters last night. Yes, went to Manchester Town Centre uh, with a group of podcasters that I uh, I share experiences with. And uh, yeah, quite a good night. Uh, what about you, James? What did you get up to? Last night, Rob, I went on the Greatest Hits Radio uh, Manchester's Christmas meal. We went to Turtle Bay. And I had a bit of an issue, really, because I was looking at the menu and there was an option that stuck out off the page, leapt out at me, and I thought, this is the one. It had festive cranberry sauce and pineapples. And I thought, wow, that sounds like it's bursting with flavour. So I picked it without reading it in full. <laughs> Turns out it's actually a vegan dish. Oh. It was tofu, and I'd never had tofu before. So it became a bit of a theme of the night that I was going to attempt to eat this vegan meal. Anyway, it arrives and nobody could have prepared me for how hot the cranberry sauce was going to be. I was completely blown out the water. Hmm. To be fair, the pineapple mellowed out the heat. But all in all, if the water hadn't arrived three quarters through the meal, I don't think I'd have been able to cross the finish line. <laughs> it was like the food, the food is lava. The food is lava. Oh, Rob, <laughs> it, was, it was tough work, I'll be honest with you. Well, you got there, did you? I did. Uh, I was proud of myself. And as a Christmas treat, I had a Banoffee cheesecake after, which was smothered in caramel and was rather delightful all in all, Rob. It was like man v food, but in real life. And I conquered the challenge. Did I fail? Nearly. Hmm. But overall, I showed heart. I showed courage. I showed determination. And now we roll on to next Friday for the Sports Zone Christmas Day with Silver City Radio, and I can't wait for that one either. So I'm sure this time next week we'll be giving you all festive tales from that meal. Yes. Do you know what else? You know what other people have shown heart, determination, the World Cup teams that are qualified for the next round, James. And Rob, know, that was a flawless a great segue. Group stage of this World Cup it's been. Yeah, absolutely. A flawless segue, Rob. I'm proud of you for that one. It shows <laughs> that you've learned a thing or two of that podcasting seminar you went to last <laughs> night. But yeah. So many big teams have gone through, I suppose, the biggest, Morocco. Mm. If you look at that group where you've got Belgium and Croatia, you'd have assumed Morocco would have fallen apart and gone straight out. But somehow they've managed to top it and they've sent Belgium packing at the group stage. Yeah, massive upset. Obviously, Morocco weren't a team that, that was fancied before the tournament, James. But to finish top of the, the group, ahead of both Croatia and Belgium, I mean, Belgium are a top side. The golden generation uh, that Roberto Martinez has been in, in charge of fails to qualify. Uh, but yeah, that's what the World Cup's all about. I, I think, James, this World Cup has been fantastic for the, maybe not the elite teams, but the teams just below closing the gap because that's what we want we want competition in every contest and I think we're getting that now yeah I think we are I mean there's so many underdog sides that we expected nothing from that have gone through and I can't wait to discuss them all with you because there's been quite a few teams that have had pretty incredible journeys but just looking back at Belgium there the stick on them at the moment is that they've had this incredible generation of players from your hazards to your your Witzels and all those sort of players, some great lads in that squad. They've never quite put all the pieces together. But Lukaku, 
had some incredible opportunities. I mean, uh, I mean, I think in the 89th minute, he missed an open net for him two yards out. He hit it with his chest. I remember when he just moved back to Chelsea, Rob, we had a bit of a debate, didn't we? Whether Lukaku could cut it in the Premier League. I said he could. You said he couldn't. He then scored on the opening day and it made it look like I was right. <laughs> all in all, it's not worked out brilliantly for him in the long run. So perhaps you had a bit of a crystal ball in front of you. Where is Lukaku's career right now? Because he's missed a golden opportunity to put Belgium into the last 16 there. Yeah, it's it's. I was. I think I was right from from the get go. It all harps back to when he it was Ronaldo and Messi and Lukaku kind of started to chip in about him being the third best player in the world. And we all know that he had his troubles at Manchester United. He couldn't find the back of the net. Um, but that game for for, for Belgium. Uh, just he just couldn't hit. He just couldn't hit hit a band or could he? Uh, with, with a banjo, it was it was it was unbelievable, James. It was it become you know comical at the end that the ball just rebounds off him and lands straight into the goalie's hands. I know it's it's cruel. Uh, obviously, the hopes of a nation on on his on his back. I know he's only played thirty minutes of football uh, since uh, February uh, since uh, is it November? So he isn't fit. But if you're a proven goal scorer. You, you, you at least take one of them chances. He showed his obvious frustration after the match uh, by smashing the uh, the substitutes dugout. Um, but yeah, I think that has proved my point that Lukaku isn't a top top draw centre forward. No, perhaps not, Rob. But I mean, as you say there with that shot, potentially a top level boxer because he well and truly smashed the dugout, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he did. The thing is, the only thing he hit all hit, hit Saga all night with. <laughs> well. <laughs> I'm sure there's a there's something in that, Rob. Hmm. If you put if you tweeted that out, I'm sure you get a plethora of likes in. Hmm. But looking at some of these other big teams that have crashed out, Germany again in a group with Costa Rica and Japan, you wouldn't have expected them to go. Uh, you wouldn't have expected them to go anywhere, would you? I mean, Germany aside, who undoubtedly you would have expected to progress to the next round of the competition, would they have gone the whole way? Are they the Germany of old? Perhaps not. But to lose to Japan and then go out at such an early stage of the competition is incredible. And at one stage, both Germany and Spain were leaving the competition. Spain only just wriggled through. Hmm. It's For me, James, it's kind of changing of the guard, really. Germany, you know, high-profile uh, country. Uh, there was lots of uh, debate about their sort of protest at the beginning of the uh, the, the competition with their uh, hands over the mouth and it's you know a serious uh you know upset that they left the tournament this early um but is that germany not playing well or is that japan showing us you know what the new uh sort of generation of of, of international football is all about that's the question is it germany not playing very well or japan you know exceeding our expectations it's a mix of both isn't it what you know about japan regardless of the quality in the side they will always give it 110%. Mm. And if you're lacking, like Germany were, they will get results. And that's what some of these big teams forget in this competition, that these players might not play in the Premier League or La Liga or Serie A, and they won't get that many opportunities to play the big boys. So when they do, it's a monumental opportunity for them to solidify their careers. Mm. And that's I'm... where Germany have fallen short. And, and I mean, France, again, another team here, have have scraped through to the next round of the competition, but they lost to Tunisia. But hmm. well, I think it's the, the the thing is, James, there is enough of these players in these teams that do play at a high level. 
So the fear factor of playing France or playing Germany has gone for them. So it's basically 11 v 11 uh, and, and we'll see how that goes out. And that's what I think this World Cup shows that the old guard, the likes of Spain and Germany, I mean, like Brazil, teams like that can't just walk into a game and win 3-0. They'll have to work for every goal and every win. And that's fantastic for, for world football. It's fantastic for the tournament. And that's what we're all tuning into, aren't we? We want competition every week. Yeah, we do. We want this to be the highest quality of football. And it is. It's getting that way. We're seeing competitions all around the world grow as the games get bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, in the Rugby League World Cup and the Rugby Union World Cup, for example, it does feel like year on year those teams are getting better. It's the same in football. And even a team like Saudi Arabia ultimately haven't advanced to the next round of the competition. But they looked good for out, didn't they? They did. They did, James. And, you know, it's it's important that these teams are able to develop. And we, we want we want the best of the best at every, every, every game in every competition. Lots of talk about the next World Cup and how the group stage is going to be different. I think it's in three, 16... I think it's sixteen groups of three, uh, which is a bit of a bit of a different, really, than than the, what we've got there now. But I'm just hoping that the FIFA haven't decided to change that too soon because we've got competition at the moment. Why would we want to change it? Exactly, I don't want to change it. I want this competition to keep growing and keep getting better and better. And you want that drama, don't you? And if the teams are so much better than the other lineups, then it isn't going to be as competitive as we'd like it to be. I mean, Group H, for example, South Korea getting past Portugal and qualifying for the next round. Incredible drama there. Mm. And then Uruguay beating Ghana 2-0 and still going out was pretty incredible stuff. I mean... It was nice to see Luis Suarez on the uh, the touchline in what seemed like tears, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. It was quite funny, that. But Ghana v Uruguay uh, game, harping back to the previous World Cup, where Uruguay dumped Ghana out of the competition after Luis Suarez controversially handballed uh, and Ghana missed a penalty. Um, that was kind of a crunch game for Ghana. They wanted to, to, to win that so badly. They missed a penalty early doors, and then two goals from Uruguay, put Ghana on the back foot and then obviously like you said with South Korea uh, beating uh, Portugal and dumping uh, Uruguay out the Ghanaians were celebrating like they'd, they'd done the biz when they hadn't so it was it was topsy topsy-turvy contest real roller coaster and that's what the World Cup is James it's drama and, and we're all getting sucked into it and enjoying it yeah we most certainly are Rob it's drama of the highest level and seeing that whole game the ebbs and flows the momentum switches I mean as you mentioned Ghana with that penalty it, it seemed like this was done but you could tell in the run-up that this was getting saved couldn't you yeah. It was it was a very staggered run up. You could tell which way it was going to go and so long as the keeper made the right decision and dived the right way, it was getting saved every day of the week. And perhaps that's karma because I don't know if you saw it, but after uh, Ghana defeated South Korea and what on paper looked like ended their chance of going through to the next round, one of the Ghanaian coaches went up to a crying Sun Hung Ming and took a selfie with him. Wow. Which is weird because obviously, you know, there's there's sort of boundaries sometimes isn't it when when the obviously someone who is dejected on the floor and they've given their all to to reach the 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 biggest competition in the world and then you just sort of tiptoe up to him while the while they're in tears on the floor and just sort of tap him on the shoulder and say can we have a photo that's you know what's going through the person who wants to take the photo and what's going through the, through the 
you know the mind of the person on the floor that can't you see I'm, I'm in absolute you know bits here that me you know my career is flashing before my eyes and you want me to have a, a smile while you take a, a selfie with me I, I just think it shows where society is at the moment James that you know sometimes people just don't know when to uh when to engage and when not to no they don't do they I mean this whole world around photos is pretty incredible i mean i know a lot of famous people in general say that the, the major rule they have is don't come up to me while i'm eating my meal mm. and i do advise the listeners of Salford city radio to not come up to me and rob's while we're tucking into a <laughs> weatherspoons next week at the christmas do because uh, if we take photos with one of you we'll have to get one with everyone this is it, but, this uh, is it. This is the, this, these are the issues that we face but uh, in, especially if jay's got a mouthful of tofu don't do that absolutely if i'm, if I'm tucking into my tofu you stay well away <laughs> But uh, but yeah, this whole thing didn't work out particularly well for Garner. And Sung Hyung Ming literally collapsed on the floor seconds after the picture was taken. Yeah, it's just really strange. And obviously, you know, football is a global thing. And, you know, these countries watching, you know, world football, they see you know, the characters, don't they, every week. And, and they have that. And there's an opportunity, like I said, there's opportunity now because obviously you're on the same field and you want to record that moment. But, you know, as he's uh, as he's on the floor and, he's, and he's, uh, he thinks his tournament's over and then there's a time and a place in the end. And that is, that is sometimes that gets blurred, doesn't it, in sport? Yeah, I mean, the lines do get blurred, don't they? And there is a time and a place for certain things. But unfortunately, this isn't the time or place for the USA anymore because they've gone out 3-1 against the Netherlands and Louis van Gaal leads his army to the next round of the competition. Yes, you know, Holland are a good team. Um, you know, they're playing some good football. Going to be a contender, aren't they? You know, we, we, we talk about the other teams like Argentina and, and sort of Brazil, England, Holland haven't the greatest uh, sort of uh, record in recent World Cups. Uh, but this one could be could be the time. Talking about blurred lines, uh, James. Talk about the German. Uh, Germany going out and the ball crossing the the dead ball line. You know there was so much controversy about whether the ball covered that went over the line fully. Um, you know what did you think of that? Let's talk about VAR and, and it was a controversial thing about uh, the Quetar uh, sort of government not allowing the pitches to go out to the world about how far the, the ball was over the line. Um, but yeah, it's very controversial. They, they couldn't show that that image because people now are all wondering. Why, why it wasn't shown? Yeah, um, I think it definitely crossed the line, Rob. Uh, I assume you feel the same way, or do you feel differently? Yeah, well, I, I look at the pictures that are available, James, and it's all about perception in it, because we've seen on, on Twitter since where it depends on what angle you look at. It depends whether the ball was all over the line. The, the angles that I see on the TV, it's over the line, but but... Is that because the camera angle is where it is? If you're looking from above, is it is it over line then? But we're not able to see every camera angle for whatever reason, which means basically there's always doubt in people's heads about whether it was over the line or not. And obviously, you know, the people of sort of Germany, you know, aren't very happy about sort of being dumped out. So that will always be a, a, a bowl of contention for, for the country. Yeah, they'll always worry about that. But... It ebbs and flows, doesn't it? Because we're still complaining about that Frank Lampard goal, aren't we, in, 20, in the 2010 World Cup that most certainly crossed the line. Yeah. People talk about that, James, but we'd get beat 4-1 in that game. So we even did, if but, it I mean, that, that would have been the first goal, goal wouldn't it? Two. That would have been the first goal, wouldn't it, the Frank well, Lampard yeah, one, remembering rally. I mean, and that and that completely changes uh, the whole momentum of the game. Mm, yeah, there is that. 
yeah, I suppose, but yeah, there's still talk, talk about them. But look, at the end of the day, 66, the same situation, and we, we ended up on the right side of one, so I suppose we, we got one, and we didn't get the other one, and obviously Germany have, uh, have been done twice in about 60 years apart. Yeah, I mean, the Germans, this isn't their year, uh, it's fair to say. I'm sure they'll go back and rebuild, but this Japanese story is 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 incredible, to say the least, isn't it? Because I don't think anybody would have picked Japan to go through there. Obviously, colliding with Croatia on Monday. This show obviously being recorded over the weekend, so we can't give a full in-depth reaction to the result. But in general, what do you make of how well they've done, regardless of whether they win or lose that Croatia game? Yeah, it, you know, it, it's it's what the World Cup's all about, isn't it? You know, these teams coming in, you know, playing good football, upsetting the apple cart, and you're hoping that they can build on that for the next one, World Cup and then in the next uh, tournament that they can, can play in. Talking about other controversies, let's talk about Portugal and Cristiano Ronaldo's uh, deflected header in. You know, he thought he'd scored. If FIFA didn't think they'd scored, Portugal then appeal against the decision. And what, what do you make of that? It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. The whole Ronaldo thing is incredibly interesting. I mean, who do you think scored the goal? Do you think it was Ronaldo? Or do you think it was Bruno Fernandes? Well, there's a lot, a lot of times when you you see a whipped ball in and it kind of grazes the forehead and it goes in. You think, how close were you to that? And I suppose now, with the highlights and, and, and you know, the video replays and cameras dotted around the stadium, you've got many different angles on that header. Um, so you will be able to to see. And even they had like a snicker meter, like they have in uh, cricket, where they can see whether the ball at the bat, they had that, where see if it grazed Ronaldo's head because of some kind of chip in the ball or something. But it didn't seem like it did. But sometimes you feel like you had... And I think if Ronaldo hadn't celebrated, then obviously Bruno Fernandez would have uh, would would have would have took the uh, took the took the plaudits. But because Ronaldo did celebrate, then everyone's looking at him thinking, "Well, you didn't score," and then it becomes a trust issue. Then because I mean, how far does Ronaldo go to to try and become the the World Cup's top scorer? When obviously he does he does he deep down think he didn't? It, but he's just celebrating because he he think he might have done because he wants more personal accolades. I mean, with Cristiano Ronaldo, it's ego, isn't it? Hmm. When you've got a player like that, with that much money, with that much success, and with the way his career's been going as of late, he feels pushed out of Manchester United. Granted, it was his fault in the first place, you could argue, because he wasn't happy with the lack of Champions League football. So he comes into this with so much pressure, because no big club wants him at the moment. That's why he's getting all these big offers from Saudi Arabian sides. Atletico Madrid, where he wanted to go, they're not interested. I don't think Chelsea or Man City have shown any interest really in purchasing him. So he needs to convince people that at the age of 37, he's still got a lot to give. So he needs to be scoring goals. But I feel like this protest has done the opposite because it's reiterating this issue that he's always had and has rose to the surface in the last few years is his attitude problem. Hmm. And if you're someone who wants to bring Ronaldo into your club, is that the right decision? If obviously you've got a good, you know, mix of of, of youth and 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 old heads, and they're all getting on together, bringing Ronaldo in does that upset the apple cart? Because obviously, it all becomes about him, the circus surrounding him, because he is the you know the one of the top players in the world uh, commercially, and then lots of money surrounding him and, and following him around, bringing him into your club. Does is that a problem? But I suppose going to somewhere like Saudi Arabia, where the competition is as good as in that league. Does that signal the end for him? 
because obviously he still think he still thinks he's one of the best players in the world. So does he really want to go to Saudi Arabia and 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 end his career there? Because there's no way he can convince the world that going to Saudi Arabia is a, is a step up and not a step down. It's career suicide essentially, hmm. not for his. Uh... His pockets, because I imagine that the Saudi Arabian teams will pay him an incredible amount of money to play out there. And they won't be particularly worried about making a loss either. That's how it works. But in terms of his actual reputation amongst sporting fans, this looks horrendous. You can't complain about Manchester United because they've not got Champions League football and then play in Saudi Arabia. Mm. It makes you look hypocritical. And it also paints the picture that you have no options. Yeah, it's it's it really is the end for Ronaldo. We talk about Lionel Messi and you know him going to to Paris Saint Germain in France and the French league not being as as good as uh, the Spanish one. But Saudi Arabia is two drops below that. Really, let's be honest with ourselves. He might as well go and play in the Irish league than go and play in the uh, in Saudi Arabia. So it is strange. Like you say, it becomes more about the money, and he wants to be seen as a top athlete. Top athlete. If he goes to to Saudi Arabia, then people will be saying, "Well, you know, if you were that good, drop your demands down and go to a second tier uh, European team and try and take them to that next level." But you know, is it is European football? Uh, too quick for him now because everyone wants to pl- you know play from the front, press from the front, defend from the front, and at uh, 37, uh, he's more interested in going forward, not back when it comes to playing football. Yeah, I don't think he's shot to pieces, Rob. No, nope. uh, don't get me wrong, he's not the player he was, but he's still got a lot to offer in terms of his skill level and his talent and his ability on the field. But let's not forget, he was one of our better players last season at Manchester United. He scored pivotal goals regularly, and he made a great impact in its team. It's just whether anybody wants to rely on his attitude for me. That, that's the big issue because he can still do a number of things for your side. He might not have incredible longevity left and he's not going to be somebody you invest in for five years. But for a few seasons yet, he's still got the talent to, to make a turn up for the books and he's still got the ability, in my opinion, to play in Europe. I just think it becomes a lot of clubs, James. They talk about sort of selling on price. And if you're getting a, a 37-year-old uh, on your books, he's going to be on, let's say, £200,000 minimum a week. Uh, how are you going to recruit that recruit that money when his contract ends? He's not really. He's going to either retire or he's going to go and play his, his football in, like so Saudi Arabia or Japan, or somewhere far away for a lot of money. And I think a lot of clubs look at that situation and go, well, yes, he comes into the club. Yes, he makes some money for us. But is it is it does that how it ends? It, it just drops off because there's no selling on uh, value. But that's what football is. It's not all about the game anymore. It's about business. Yeah, I suppose it is really, Rob. Uh, we want to believe that this is a pure sport to its core, but it's not in a lot of ways. And you can see that by the fact that the Football World Cup went to Qatar in the first place. Not that we're moralistically perfect over here, but it, it definitely wasn't ideal. And then you see pundits such as your Gary Nevilles, who, who who originally said all sorts of horrible things about the tournament, fly out there for a big bag of money. And it does make you question things. But Cristiano Ronaldo, I, I think it's probably likely that he takes that money. He plays in Saudi and he does big things out there because mm. the Saudis ultimately have bottomless pockets and they'll be willing to pay for Cristiano Ronaldo to do whatever. I mean, look at all the events that are going to Saudi now from your Grand Prix to your, your Anthony Joshua fights to your 
WWE events and they're packing out huge stadiums. These Saudi Arabian fans have been deprived of sport at the top level. And somebody like Ronaldo, even though he's not the player he was, still has that star power. And he's undoubtedly going to get tongues wagging. And all those Saudi Arabians are undoubtedly going to want to see him play in the person. Mm. Let's talk about... Cristiano's, Ronaldo's nemesis, Lionel Messi. Argentina qualified, top of their division. Is this the year Lionel gets his World Cup? Is this the year Lionel gets his World Cup? I mean, this... You'd imagine... I'm conflicted, Rob, and I'll tell you for why. They lost to Saudi, didn't they? Hmm. And that's never good. It's not a good sign moving forward. You want to win every single game. But could you perhaps put that down to them overlooking a side? Now that's out of the way, they're going to want to get the job done. Lionel Messi throughout his career, I know he won the Copa America, but he's been renowned for not performing on the international stage. This is his last opportunity. And following a victory over Australia, you'd imagine that they are in the running to get that big, big trophy finally under their belts. It's about time, considering Argentina are one of the greatest international teams ever. I mean, surely a World Cup is coming sooner rather than later. Yeah, just for a minute there. I thought, I thought your tofu was repeating on you for a second. But then as we move on, it's his moment, in it? That's the only thing that's missing in his trophy cabinet. If he wins a World Cup, then he could well be regarded as one of the, one of the greats of all time. His Argentinian team probably isn't, you know, one of the one of the greatest of all time, but neither was Maradona's in 1986. So if he can find a way to take this team to the promised land of uh, winning the World Cup, then uh, then we can obviously then put him in them uh, greatest of all time brackets. Yeah, he's certainly up there in terms of his talent and his skills. He's undeniably one of the very best to ever play the game, if not the best. But what he is missing is that signature World Cup trophy that so many others of these greats have. I mean, look at Pele, for example. Mm. He has that. I was talking to uh, Cliff Jones the other day, who was a 1958 Welsh World Cup international, the last time Wales actually played in the competition, 87 years old. And he was talking to me about Pele, and he said that even though at such a young age, Pele wasn't particularly well-known, as soon as he arrived on the World Cup scene, he made an impact Mm. straight off the bat. They were playing it, and within 20 minutes, they were like, who on earth is this young kid? Because he just had that aura, that special thing about him. Something that Messi hasn't quite managed to produce on that stage. Mm. And that's the difference, isn't it? I suppose we talk about George Best uh, in, in the 60s when the United played. I think it was Benfica, uh, and he won 4-1. I think he scored a couple of goals, outrageous goals, came back with a big sombrero on the plane, and he was uh, dubbed El Beetle. And, and that's top players have big moments don't they, in the careers where the world turns and looks and yeah Lionel Messi has had a couple of big moments but hasn't resulted in you know the biggest prize being captured and there's always debates between who's the best with Ronaldo and Lionel Messi you've got the likes of Pele even though George Best never never got to a World Cup people do talk about him in that in that uh you know bracket uh, James but it is it is interesting to see uh, we will find out in the next couple of weeks whether he can take that that next step to, to greatness uh, and you know sentiment himself as, as being the greatest of all time yeah um, we're going to find out aren't we it's going to be interesting to see I can't wait because as a football fan myself it would be nice to see Lionel Messi finally cross the line because his career has been working towards that it feels and He's in the last stages now. He's at PSG and his career simply isn't going to go on forever. 
But now I think it's time to discuss the big one. And we better bring Paul Whiteside in for this. Let's discuss England versus Senegal. Yep, so we're joined by Paul Whiteside from the Devil of Detail, Paul. We're talking World Cup football at the moment. You know, what World Cup it's been? Yeah, there's been plenty of um, ups and downs and, and, and shock so far and shock results and what have you. So it's been an entertaining tournament and you know as you start to hit the knockout stages now you know some of the sort of the bigger nations are, are going through and flexing their muscles now so to speak aren't they so you, you're seeing uh, you're seeing you know more routine sort of results now but no it's been it's been a good tournament so far I've enjoyed what I've seen and what I've listened to on the radio it's been it's been good yeah obviously let's talk about one of the bigger nations France they beat Poland 3-1 to get through to the quarter-final stage, Mbappe with two goals. You know what a player he is. Yeah, that that could have been a potential banana skin. You know, Poland, you know, showed some some good performances, didn't they, in the group game? So, so a good result for France, and you know, France a a good solid side, aren't you? As you say, Mbappe, top player, and uh, you know, he's he's somebody that's going to come to the fore. Now, I think for the rest of the tournament, you know. France is uh, a big nation, aren't they? You know, we'll probably talk about England shortly with their their, their next opponents in France now. But uh, but yeah, they're going to take some stopping, aren't they? They are. They are falling. Obviously, you know, experienced at World Cup uh, winners before. They know their way to uh, the final and how to win this competition. So to be in this position now with one of the best players in the world in their ranks, uh, you know, they have to be strong favourites for the win. That's right. Yeah, they, you know, they've they've been you know. A good side for a couple of decades now, haven't they? Well, they've always been around, haven't they, France? But you know, since France '98, you know, since then they've really kicked on. After that, didn't they? And, you know, produced some wonderful players, haven't they? They've played, you know, all over the world. Particularly the Premiership, we've seen plenty of uh, quality French players over the last couple of decades. So, so yeah, they're going to take some stopping. They're they're one of the benchmark teams, aren't they? Amongst a few others as well. But uh, but no, I'd expect France to be you know massive test next. Yeah, obviously, on the off-lip side of that, Poland, Robert Lewandowski, you know, a top, top striker. His country bows out, scored uh, one goal in this tournament, but it's probably one of them what might have been for him. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they're probably not blessed with the sort of players that, that, that France and England and some other sides have got. They've not got that strength in depth and sort of squad size. I mean, you know, Lewandowski's a good player, but... You know, without being disrespectful to Poland, you've probably not got a team full of, of those world-class players, have you, to, to push on to that next level. But I think they performed, you know, admirably in the in the group and did well to get through. And um, you know, very passionate support as well from the from the Poles as well, who always uh, make plenty of noise, don't they? And you know, their league's a, a solid one as well. But uh, but no, I think France were just a bit too much for them, really, and their quality showed on the on the game day. Yep. Let's move on to Argentina. They beat. Australia 2-1, Lionel Messi the star again. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, Messi continues to to defy time, doesn't he, really? You know, super player and he's got a super goal record as well, both for club and for country. And, uh, you know, you can never discount him. He's uh, the ultimate pro, really, isn't he? I mean, I don't think he's one of those players that goes sort of shouting from the rooftops. He's never really in the headlines for the wrong stuff. He just gets on with it. He, he's just a pro, Good, great, a great pro footballer who just does his job. Really, and um, you know he's always there and amongst the goals. And I think you've got to give a lot of credit to Australia. I think they entertained in the, in the World Cup, and as a nation, they've come a long way, haven't they, over the last uh, the last few tournaments, really. And uh, you know, probably if you're talking sort of I don't know 20 years ago, or so Australia were were nothing in football, were they really? And um, 
probably a bit of a laughing stock, but now they're not. They, they've announced themselves on the world stage and you know give, give Argentina a good game there as well. As I said, entertaining the, in the groups and uh, you know Argentina would have found them tough to beat, but I think. Argentina are another side there that have been there before. They're experienced. They've been to finals. They've won the tournament. They're a, they're a big nation, aren't they? They're a big side with a lot of quality players in it, and a side that likes to play close to the knuckle as well. So they're 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 another side that you know that could quite easily go all the way. It is a fascinating thing, obviously, with Argentina. Lionel Messi always you know, thought about and talked about like Diego Maradona. The only thing that Messi is missing is that World Cup. Uh, you know, he's, he is a fantastic player. The team is built around him. The whole the country uh, sees him as a god. Obviously, had his fantastic career at Barcelona. Now he's playing at, at PSG. It's a, a real World Cup moment for him. Obviously, he scored a couple of goals so far in the tournament. Uh, he has showed sparks of, ma- of magic. And, and that's what this World Cup is all about. It's, it's about him rightfully getting that crown of being the best player in the world ever when he wins the World Cup. Yeah, well, sometimes, you know, stories like that are written, aren't they? And you have to think, God, is Argentina's name on the trophy? Is it fate? Will they go all the way and, and take that, that, that trophy? I mean, players like Lionel Messi don't don't come around that often, do they? I mean, they're sort of once-in-generation sort of player, aren't they? As you said there, he's looked at, upon his country as a god. And there's not that many players around the world that are like that. You've probably got Cristiano Ronaldo in Portugal, haven't you? And, one or two other players around the world, but uh, but Lionel Messi is definitely up there as uh, I, I'd say probably the most feared player in the world, isn't he? And probably one of the the, the biggest names in the world. You know, you look at a country like Argentina, a huge country where where a player is absolutely adored. So um, so yeah, is it written in the stars for him? But we've just mentioned there that the sides that are through. You've got England, uh, Holland, who are through, uh, Argentina and France, four real powerhouses of world football. So um, and there's plenty more to come as well. We've still got some other um, uh, round of 16 games to go. So uh, the quarterfinals is going to look really tasty, I think, when we're looking at the teams that are going to be through. Yeah, we talk about obviously the, the powerhouses Germany. I spoke to James previously on this show about Germany going out. I mean, how much of a shock was that? It's uh, you know they're the powerhouse football nation, and you know being dumped out at the group stage is going to do uh, them or their the football association any good. No, and I don't think they were that bad in the tournament, really. I mean, they got a draw against Spain, didn't they? And, you know, obviously, a, sh- a shock result, really, that, that, that's dumped them out of the tournament. One, you know, in the groups, you you can't really afford to, to make too many errors. Kind of, there's not a lot of room for how you lose a game in the groups, and you've probably got to win win two others, really, have you, to go through. You need sort of six, five or six points to get through, don't you, mathematically, sometimes. So, you know, it was, you know, lucky for Germany, but... They've been to plenty of tournaments before, plenty of finals before. I'm sure that as a nation they'll uh, they'll bounce back from that. But that was a shock. That was a shock to see them uh, to see them go out because you know once they're in the in the knockout stages, they've been there and done it, haven't they? They've got the experience and they always seem to come up trumps and, and, and get towards the sort of semis and the final, don't they? So they're they're a, they're a big team to drop out. And obviously they've had a, a couple of uh, you know couple of tournaments recently that they failed to spark. What do you think the problem is with obviously with German football? There's that expectation of being in semi-finals, quarter-finals. Have they become kind of used to it and not not wanting to put the effort in against the teams like South Korea and, and China and, and teams who they are expected to roll over when they play Germany? They don't seem to be doing that. No, that, that that's right. I mean. You know, football's like any sport, isn't it? You've got to be psychologically switched on, no matter who you play. You know, especially in a World Cup, you can't take anybody for granted, can you? I mean, you look at Argentina losing to Saudi Arabia. That's no disrespect to Saudi Arabia, but on paper, 
Argentina, are, you know, head and shoulders above them. But you know, football's not played on paper, is it? It's played on grass, and you, you, you've got to turn up and you've got to do the business. And um, you know, and they've not done Germany, and, and I don't know what the problem is there. They have misfired, haven't they? In the last couple of tournaments, and not really been their usual sort of. So ourselves, you know, they're normally like a machine, aren't they, Germany? And they, they don't give anything away and they're very, very tough to beat. But, uh, but no, by their standards, they've been disappointing. Talking about a team that usually misfires is uh, Holland. Uh, they have got through to the next round, beating USA 3-1. Um, Louis van Gaal working the magic with the with the uh, the Orange Army. Well, yeah, I mean, the Netherlands, Holland, whatever you want to call them, they, they, they're always... So at the start of tournaments, they're dark horses, aren't they? I mean, I think in the 70s, they got to a couple of finals, didn't they? And flattered to deceive and didn't win them. So they're, they're always a team that everybody sort of has a bit of a soft spot for, I think, don't they? They've had some fantastic players. I mean, we've some, seen some great Dutch footballers in this country, haven't we, over the years? And uh, and, and yeah, could they, they could go all the way this time. I think it impressed me against America, really, because the USA... We're a tough side, tough nut to crack. I mean, you go back to the England game against USA, they defended really well, and for large parts of that game, I thought they dominated them with a better side. But yeah, the the Netherlands um, put them away comfortably there, three three goals to to, to one. So um, so yeah, they're another side you've got to watch out for now in the in the quarterfinals. Yeah, obviously with Germany out and so many sort of big nations starting to find the feet, we'll be interested to see if Holland can find a way of, of getting that result and getting through to the final winning. Because obviously, like you said, they've had a few years where they're always a bridesmaid, never the bride when it comes to international football. So could this be their year to turn that round? Could possibly be, Rob. And like you said there, they've got a fanatical support as well. It's always great to see them on the television, that orange army, isn't it? Wherever they are in the stadium, I think it really adds to the atmosphere and the, the Dutch people really get behind them as well. So, so yeah, I, it's a bit of a conundrum really in football. They've never sort of got that, that, that World Cup win, isn't it? And, um, you know, they've been there very, very close and, you know, you look at the, the calibre of player that they've had, you know, right back through the 70s, you know, that's a cry from people like that. They've never quite got over the line. So, could it be this time? It's going to be fascinating to see. Yeah, they've got some good players now. Um, Virgil van Dijk, uh, Frankie de Jong, Memphis Depay. You know, they, they've got quality players all the way through that team. And it is a, it is a bit of a head-scratcher how they haven't uh, gone on and won a major competition. Uh, but you're kind of hoping that, you know, they, they can find a way. Obviously, not at England's expense. No, that's right. But no, I think they'll take some stopping. I think they've been impressive so far. As I said, Louis van Gaal is a very, very experienced manager. No, uh, he seems to have been around for forever and a day now, doesn't he? So uh, he knows how to, uh, to to get a team going and how these big tournaments work. So, uh, so yeah, they'll, they'll be tough not to crack now in the in the in the quarterfinals. Yeah, let's talk about England. They were three 0 victors against Senegal. Paul, you know, South Gareth Southgate's men through to the next round. No injuries, no suspensions. Job done. Yeah, yeah, it was a you know solid professional performance, really. I mean, for the first half an hour or so, Senegal were in the game, really. And only had one or two chances, but Pickford come up with a, with a good save, really. And that was really the only threat. But after that, once he got the goal in front, second goal followed. And it was, um, you know, it was not, not sort of a, a procession, but... They were at arms length Senegal and they were the, they were second best in every department really and that was a potential banana skin. You know, African champions, really fit side that run all day. They've got plenty of pace in that team as well and um, that that was a banana skin and they overcame it. You know, three 0 is a good victory. I mean, you look at the the win so far. You know, three 0 against Wales and how America was a bit of a 
bit of a drab one, but you know, six goals against Iran. So yeah, you could say he's not really played anybody yet, but oh, Senegal Champions of Africa, they're not a bad side. So you only beat the side that's in front of you. So the next test now, the tests are going to get you know bigger and bigger out of each round now. So uh, you know, France next is going to be one hell of a game. Yeah, obviously. Gareth Southgate went with 4-3-3 with Saha and Walker as wing-backs when attacking and, and a flat-back four when, when they defended. There is talk, obviously, when we talk about going playing France on, on Saturday, whether they're going to move that to a three at the back to try and deal with Mbappe. Uh, but it's difficult, really. Obviously, with tournament football, you need to get it right first time. Otherwise, you're sent home. That's right, yeah, knockout football, there's no room for error, so I think the good thing is for Gareth Southgate now, you, you've got like six days in it before the next game, so he's got plenty of time there to, to study France and, and study the tactics, and yeah, he's got to get it right, he's got to outfox his, his opposition manager, hasn't he, he's got to get his game plan right, get his tactics right, get his team right, and then hope it all goes right on the night, um, they've got some quality players, France, and they're no, they're no mugs, are they? They're going to be really, really tough to beat. If you can get through that one, then you can start dreaming then, can't you? But, you know, there's an awful lot of hard work got to go in this week from England now. You know, they did look vulnerable at times in, in some of the games so far, this uh, this tournament. So they've got to get that, that, that defence right. That defence has got to be absolutely nailed on. But, you know, apart from the Iran game, they've um, they've kept three three clean sheets, I think, now on the bounce, haven't they? So, uh, so yeah, you've got to keep that going now against France. Yeah, Jordan Henderson with England's first goal. Obviously, a lot of people talking about whether he should be in the team, but going on and scoring that opening goal for England is a real marker for him going forward. I think he's had a great tournament so far and you're hoping for more in the next rounds. With the experience with Liverpool and England, he's going to be a key player moving forward. Yeah, and he's he's another one that's got a terrific engine in the middle of the pitch. You know, he's a fit lad. He'll run all day for you, won't he? And like you said, you can't buy his experience. He's been in big games, you know, for for club and country. Played a lot of tournaments now with England, but you know his club career as well with Liverpool. You, you know, you're playing in a decent side there, in a good club, very professional club. You know, one that's under the microscope a lot. So he knows how to handle the pressure, doesn't he? And the pressure's going to get cranked up now. There's no doubt about that. You know, you you were going into a, a world. World Cup quarter final with with all the nations sort of expectations on your shoulders. You need players like that with that sort of experience that can g some of the younger lads up. Because you look at that Jude Bellingham, I think he's 19 years of age. So a guy like that is going to need somebody like Jordan Anderson to, you know, to to sort of usher him through that game and and get him through it. So I think I think Henderson's a, a good guy to have around the squad. And as you said, he's playing really well in this tournament as well. Yeah, also a good guy to have round the squad. Squad is Harry Kane. Scored his first goal in the World Cup uh, just before half time. Great goal for him. Obviously, confidence wise, he's not scored until they played Senegal. So it's great he got on the score sheet. So looking forward to France now with that one in the bag. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he comes in for a lot of stick, doesn't he? Um, and you've just got to uh, you've just got to get on with it now at the World Cup and. You know, there's times where people are going to shine that microscope on you, and you know, and it's it's difficult. But I think the the confidence was flowing there. That second goal went in, and um, you know, you could see the shackles were off then, and and England started to play and, and move the ball about, and and that's what you've got to do in these big tournaments. I don't think you can go into these games. Yeah, your defense has got to be got to be solid, but you've got to show a bit of ambition as well, haven't you? If you're going to win a World Cup, you're not going to win a World Cup with one nil every week, are you? And, I don't think so anyway. Talking about teams like Brazil that left in the tournament, if you're going to beat them, you have to score some goals, aren't you? So, so it was good to see him get amongst the goals. 
Yeah, Saka with the final goal for England. Bellingham with the assist. And obviously, second half, England just managed the game out. Obviously, sometimes we want to see attacking football. Sometimes we want to see goals. We want to see action. But 3-0 up in the World Cup, second round. You just want to win the game. No injuries, no suspensions. And let's get through to that next round against France. Exactly. Yeah, once you're 3-0 up there, what you don't want is somebody to lose their head, get two yellow cards, get sent off, or pick a yellow card up and get a suspension in the next game, or dive in a silly tackle and get injured. You, you just want to... It's a bit like a boxer who's, who's miles ahead on the cards, and you, you're probably not going for the knockout, you're just going for the win. So you play the rounds out, don't you? And, and that's that's what England were doing, really. I'd, I'd Senegal at arm's length, just toying with them and just... Yeah, just running the clock down basically there. Then, and yeah, you probably could have got on and scored a few, a few more goals, but no one's gonna remember that in the World Cup. It's all about getting through, isn't it, to the next round? So, uh, so yeah, I think they did they did right there. Did a thoroughly professional job. Yeah, very exciting. Obviously, France in the next round, a real acid test for Gareth Southgate's men. You managed to beat France. It opens up the tournament for you. Yeah, of course it does. And then you'll probably play somebody just as tough in the semi-finals then. So, um, so yeah, it doesn't get easy now. You, you talk about the last eight in the world. Every game is going to be, you know, absolutely. Oh, it's going to be fever pitch, isn't it? You, you, you're talking about you know, a country like France, where football is absolutely huge. It's a big country, a lot of talent to pick from as well. You look at France in the side of a country; it's a lot bigger than England. So, uh, you know, they're a powerhouse in the, in the sport. They're going to be tough to beat. They're probably going to be the favourites, aren't they? But uh, there's no reason why England can't uh, knock France out. Not at all. It'd be tough. But that's what you're going to these World Cups for. You're not going to go for a World Cup and avoid all the big teams and play Mickey Mouse teams all the way through it. There's going to be a, a, a point where you've got to play the best. Then you get past France, then you might have to play somebody like Brazil or somebody in the semi-final. So, you know, it's this is where it hots up now. Yeah, and obviously now we're used to games playing all the time, uh, Paul. Um, after the Tuesday games, um, there's nothing then till, till, till weekend. I mean, what are we going to do for the next couple of days? Oh, right. Yeah, I suppose the players need a bit of a rest, don't they? Then, um, so uh, I think there'll be pl- there's plenty of football going on domestically. I think don't the championship play this weekend as well. So there's uh, there's football picking up uh, at home, isn't there? But uh, but no, I think you'll have, you'll have plenty of uh, plenty of things to think about going towards uh, towards Saturday. So who's your winner? Who are you picking as the in the outright winner in two weeks' time? Oh, is the is the tournament? Yeah, um, that's a good question, Rob. I'm not a massive football expert, to be honest with you, but from what I've seen of it so far, I think you know Brazil have looked pretty good. But I think they're beatable. You know, they look beatable. I think England's got a good chance. You know, you, you can always be sentimental, can't you, about the country where you come from, thinking oh it's coming home and all that sort of stuff. I, I don't really buy into all that. I mean, you just watch the the, the side and just you know see how they're doing. And I think France going to take some beating. Argentina, as we spoke about before, I think they're probably one of the dark horses in my eyes, but especially with it with a messy uh, factor. But having said that, in the groups, I thought they were quite vulnerable. But they were pretty lucky to beat Mexico. They got beat against Saudi Arabia. So I think England have just got to keep going the way they're going, and they've got a great chance. Yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting. Uh, let's talk rugby league now. Paul, and we'll start with Swinton Lions. They've announced a friendly against Midland Hurricanes. On the 15th of January, um, obviously, opportunity for the Swinton faithful to get down and see the new players in action. 
Yeah, yeah, of course it is. Yeah, and hopefully they'll be playing Salford as well. I heard a bit of a whisper today, but I don't think that's been confirmed yet. But it'd be nice to see if we played them. So, uh, but yeah, Midlands Hurricanes, that'll be tough. Um, but but no, Swinton, they've got a big season coming up, as we've mentioned before. You know, back in that championship now, it's going to be a really, really tough season for them. And, you know, they need to get a good pre-season under their belts and progress. And Alan Coleman's got you know, a couple of uh, games if he gets them in the bag just to, just to see how his players are going on that. So I'm sure the, the Swinton players will be chomping at the bit now. There are quite a few players that were in the World Cup as well. So um, I'm sure them players will be coming back into pre-season training now. And, uh, and yeah, I bet they're really excited to get going. Yeah, talking about uh, uh, Swinton players, Italian international Richard Lapore has re-signed for the Lions for 2023. Uh, a good player, you know, will show his talent uh, for Swinton Lions and, you know, players like him will help uh, take Swinton to the next level. Yeah, they certainly will. Yeah, they certainly will. And um, as, we've, as we keep mentioning, it's a, it's a big league, isn't it, the championship now and the amount of sides you've got in there. I mean, it's going to be really, really tough. You know, to, to compete against some of these teams, but you know that's where you want to be. You want to be in that that higher league and uh, and compete. And no disrespect to to League One, but some of the sides in there, I mean, they're not the big draw either. But you get into the Championship, you're playing like to Toulouse and Bradford and Featherstone and Halifax, London Broncos, to name a few. York City Knights are in there. There's some real massive games in there. Some massive away days as well. I'm sure the Swinton supporters really looking forward to it. You know. Get the old A to Z out there, going to York and London, and that it's going to be a really exciting season for them. So, um, so I'm just hoping Swinton can uh, can do the business and, and consolidate and uh, make sure they can stay in the championship. Yeah. So let's move on to Salford Red Devils. Uh, they had an open day on Sunday where fans could go and collect the season tickets uh, and see the players. It was it was a great event, well attended, uh, and it's great the club were able to put on these kind of events uh, to to build confidence both on and off the field. Yeah, it was. I was queuing up for my season ticket today, and my daughter got her first one. And it was, um, it surprised me how many season tickets were there in the boxes. They're handing them out, and there's a fair few boxes there. And I was trying to work out roughly how many season tickets there were, but there was plenty. So they must have sold quite a few there. So because uh, they had to skirt through to find uh, to find mine anyway. So so yeah, it, it was a good event, and it was good to see. You know, players there, and uh, you know, talking to the supporters, and supporters just approaching players and having a chat, and some of the new signings as well. Uh, you know, it was great to do a little tour of the stadium and go in the changing rooms and the the um, the injury room where you go for uh, to get, what they call it the uh, physio what they call it now the physio room. Sorry, yeah, yeah. You know, the sort of behind the scenes where you, where you don't get to go as a supporter and then walk down the tunnel. So I think everybody enjoyed it. Everybody thoroughly enjoyed it. The brass band were great. I mean, there must have been cold out there outside of the AJ. Well, it's cold in August, isn't it? But to, uh, Sunday it was uh, freezing. But, but yeah, really a well attended event, and uh, you know, good to see, good to see, and John Blackburn's uh, museum as well, with the the you know, Challenge Cup trophy in there and some other bits and pieces. It was uh, a real sort of gold mine of uh, Salford memorabilia, and there I enjoyed that. Yeah, it's real community, and that's what this uh, Salford Devils are trying to do. They're trying to create a community club where you know everyone feels involved. With obviously the new team, the ladies team, the physical disability team, um, the learning disabilities team, the new wheelchair team that's going to be uh, brought out in the next couple of months. And you know it's massive step forward. We remember the, the dark old days of just the first team, uh, but now you know we've got the right people in the right places doing the right things. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they weren't all dark days. Rob have had one or two decent days in the sun, <laughs> didn't we? But yeah, more, more often than not. It was, yeah, there's more dark days than good days, aren't there? But, but yeah, it's an exciting time to be a supporter. I think there's a real optimistic feel around the club. That's that's what I got at the weekend. And uh, people are really excited to get going. And you just, just sort of stood there in the marquee and took stock. And I just had a look around at some of the players we've got. And there's some real quality in the squad. You know, they got Joe Burgess in. He's a fantastic player. You know, Dion Cross, good youngster coming through. Bold Brody Croft. You know, one of the players in Super League that every side, if they had the opportunity, would snap him up, wouldn't they, and have him in their team. And he'd probably walk into every side in the Super League. So you've got some real quality players here. Andrew Dixon's come back as well. And Adam Sidlow, two, two men with unfinished business at Salford. We've got Oliver Partington who's just come in, a real good prospect at 24 who could be could be taking the place of Elijah Taylor there at loose forward, I'm hoping. So, um, you know, it, it, it all bodes well. We've got a, a really good squad there. So, uh, you know, barring any major injury issues, we've got a good chance. I mean, just thinking about some of the other sides today that are in and around us in the, the table. And are they as good as us? Are they recruited as good as us? I'm not so sure they have. So, yeah, it's, I'm not going to get carried away, but it's an exciting time to be a supporter. Yep. Talking about exciting times, uh, one of our star players, Tim Lafay, signed a new three-year deal to keep him at Salford after starring for Samoa in the World Cup uh, and having a long season at Salford. We've managed to tie him down to the club for the next three years. Fantastic centre. Um, he came in under the radar for me. Um, weren't really expecting much, but you know he's, he's grown as the season's gone on. You know, we nailed down that centre spot, uh, then obviously got to the World Cup with Samoa and, and scored a few tries there. And he's had a real uh, sort of fairy tale season, really, at Salford. And to be rewarded with that three year contract uh, it must be great for him and the club and supporters because obviously a lot of people say Salford are, you know, a you know a club that buys the players, but then when the big boys come and, and fish, the, fish the good talent out, they leave. But this shows has the has the corner been turned for our club Paul that's the big question for me yeah we've got a good back line there you, you look at the likes of Ken CEO Joe Burgess Dion Cross Tim Lafay um, there's some real quality players in there Dan Sargeson as well who's who's been waiting in the wings hasn't he we struggled with injuries last year but Tim Lafay really made that centre spot his own didn't he and a uh, well, very very elusive player and if you if you think back to sort of the, the high, height of summer, especially like the August time when we was playing some fantastic rugby, some of the best rugby I've seen us play. You know, the St. Helens game at, at the AJ Bell, the Huddersfield game at the AJ we absolutely wiped the floor with them. And, and then obviously Huddersfield away in the playoffs and playing some great rugby and Tim was a massive part of that. So, um, so yeah, great team tied down. I was surprised he got a three-year deal because I think he's about 31, 32. But, you know, age is just a number. He's, he's a quality player. So, um if he stays for that that three years, you never know. He might do two years and, and get transferred somewhere else for a fee. So at least you've got him tied down now uh, on a contract, so he's not going to walk away for nothing. So so that's good. Let, let's hope we can get Brody Craft tied down as well because he's a real hot prospect, isn't he? And I know it's his last season next year, unless he signs a new contract. That'd be great to see him in one. But you know the spine of the side at the moment is good. I mean, I know we've got a few injuries. Ryan Bryle is out for a, a few months with his after his knee operation, but we're going to miss him early doors. But that could open the door for somebody else to come in and perform. So, uh, so yeah, the signs are good. 
signs are going to Paul. We obviously, with two minutes ago, we just need to make sure that the club manage his fitness. Obviously, playing such a long season at 31, uh, you know, I'm sure our medical staff, you know, are well tuned into what Tim Laffey's body is, is is all about and managing through this next sort of three, six months. Yeah, he's a fit lad, Tim Laffey. I think he'll be fine. But you've got other players in there as well. We've got a decent squad, haven't we? We've got decent, you know, you know backs. To, there's players to, to fill in there as well if there's injuries. Because there will be. It's inevitable. There'll always be injuries in the season. And I think last season we were pretty lucky, really, wasn't we? I mean, Brodie Croft, I think the only game I can remember him missing was that I mean, semi-final against, uh, against the Hillers because he got injured the week before. But no injuries apart and parcel. It's just about how we manage it. And that's the thing. It's about sort of, Blending the youth and experience uh, and fitness and strength and, and building a, a fantastic team and and that's what Paul Rowley is doing at the moment with a minute to go, Paul, and you know hoping for more success in 2023. That's right, and and we've got other players coming through. I mean, Ellis Longstaff's coming as well, hasn't he, from Warrington on on loan? And I know the Warrington supporters are disappointed about that because they really really rate him. So I think he's another good signing for us. So there's plenty of youthful players in there. Um, and there's plenty of experience in there as well. Paul Rother does know what he's doing, and uh, you know he's putting together a really, really exciting squad for 2023. Yeah, with 30 seconds to go, Paul, what's your early thoughts on where we're going to finish? I've no idea, Robin. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> you <laughs> keeping it all close, yes. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll say top six again. Top six, and that'd be you know with with, with 20 seconds to go, that'd be good for us. Yep, yeah, top six and Challenge Cup win. That'd do me. That is what you know. Everyone in Salford wants, they want a successful team uh, and Paul Rowley so far has brought that to the table. Big thanks to this week's sports on Salford City Radio and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. 